Hi, I am Dr. Mazash, and I beat the orphan path by turning my um, uh, personal tragedies into triumph. Today we have a very special episode. Joining me is Dr. Mazash Bungu, the author of the book, The Power of Personal History, and his personal history is incredibly remarkable. He's from the Republic of the Congo, and when he was just 12 years old, his village was completely destroyed by civil war. He had to flee. He was separated from his family for years on end for a very long time. He had to walk hundreds of miles. He had to live in the jungle with wild animals for over a year. Basically, had to face a nightmare scenario that would make any one of us just filled with terror. And yet, through all of this, he overcame incredible odds to educate himself with extreme commitment and self-discipline, ultimately becoming a Fulbright scholar and going to the United States where he just recently completed his PhD. It's an incredible story of personal triumph. So I'm just honored and deeply humbled that Dr. Mazash Bungu is joining us today on the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer, and let's dive into a great conversation. Well, doctor, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show one of the rare guests that I have read your book before we even begin. So I feel like I know you. I know that that's probably not the case, but I feel like I know an awful lot about you based on your book. It is a fabulous story, fascinating story. You have overcome a great deal in your life to get the title of doctor. And I know that's an honor that you take very seriously and, and rightly so. Can you educate our listeners on a little bit about the path that you have taken to end up here in the United States as a doctor. It's quite a story. Yeah, I think, thank you so much for such a question. I, I think it, it can take us maybe, uh, uh, you know, a couple of hours or why yeah. not years. 200 pages about, 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 I think, yeah. <laughs> so I can say my, the, the brief story is that my path starts uh, with the civil war uh, that ravaged my uh, my town, uh, Nidolizi, in the Republic of the Congo in 1999. And at that time, I was uh, about 12 years old. Um, so I could not imagine that a single um, single event could uh, could affect me um, so deeply, affect my family, and affect uh, uh, millions of people okay, back, uh, back in my country. And uh, I also could not imagine that uh, the event could kind of uh, create in me a sense of inward drive and tenacity uh, to always um, and seek for opportunities for growth and for triumph. And uh, and then I went on to uh, um, uh, to get a Fulbright fellowship, which we will talk uh, you know probably in in my book. And uh, you know after. <clears throat> After having uh, lived um, over a year in the forest uh, without any decent food, and uh, we we lived in in the huts uh, made of palm palm leaves and trees, uh, it was difficult. Um, and um, and eventually, I you know went on to learn English uh, by listening to uh, the broadcast called Voice of America. And, and get a Fulbright Fellowship to come to the U.S. and do my dual master's at Brandeis University. Um, and then later on, I went back back home and where I established a social enterprise working with youth um, uh, in the areas of entrepreneurship, leadership, peace building, and critical thinking skills. And, um, and then somehow... Uh, uh, the universe kind of uh, conspired for me uh, to to come back to the U.S. and to uh, to do my PhD, which I was very like, fortunate to do. And uh, just recently, I have got my PhD from the UMass Law and of course Ooh. published Congrats. Uh, my first book, which is a memoir of my journey. Yes. Well, let's let's jump in there. Uh, first of all, you know, a memoir. You're young, man. You got yeah. many. I, I'm. I think the best part of your life is yet to come. Although the book is fascinating, so it's maybe you'll do memoir part two in a few decades when you finally stopped evolving. But I don't think we're there yet. Uh, yeah. But this this story is just so remarkable because you talk about how just out of the blue your life was upended. Insurgents fighting in the uh, the army and insurgents and. You had to flee the town. Very powerful language to describe that experience. And like you said, you lived in the forest and you went walking, feet, blisters, going from town to town. 
uh, unable to find some kind of refuge, split up from your family, split up from your father, split up from your sister, trying to seek out uh, your granddad and your grandmom, trying to find a safe place. All of that is just ridiculous. And it's a level of problems that many people in the United States and uh, in other countries have not ever had to consider or experience. So that alone is just remarkable. But there's a couple things that I find even more remarkable about your story is that you've always been so focused and determined on rising up and making something and making a meaning out of that journey. And you didn't just get offered this Fulbright Fellowship. You had to work really, really hard to get your education and you were rejected. You dealt with setbacks a number of times before you finally got the fellowship. So what has kept you motivated to keep trying to build something out of your life when you have faced just so many incredible setbacks personally? Wow. Um, interesting enough, I, I can say it's um, it probably comes from my mother uh, because my mother uh, kind of uh, um, uh, talked to me about the... Um, the, the discovery of a personal okay, history. It's uh, inspirational power. And, uh, and then uh, and how I you know, probably could develop a sense of urgency to, um, um, you know, to, 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 to turn what I have gone through into, um, into opportunity for growth and 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 the triumph. So I, I can say, in short, it is really awareness of where I was coming from. Okay, that uh, um, in a personal history, uh, how um, I have happened to be who I am. Okay, what has affected me the most? Uh, what kind of uh, uh, you know personality traits uh, that. Uh, have come into play in my life. So I, I think that it comes from that, um, you know, sense of a personal history. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And part of the struggle that you have had is this moment where you say, okay, I just need $5 to take my exam, $5 to go forward yeah. in your education. And your dad and your family had to make the choice because your mother was sick to either use that $5 to help your sick mother or to give you $5 to complete your exam. And obviously the choice was we're going to help my sick mother. And therefore you didn't get to complete that part of your education for another year. That's the kind of heartbreaking stuff that most people just don't even uh, well, consider. And you kept going. Yes, definitely. I, I, I think, um, you know, when, when, when it happened, uh, the, the day that it was happening, uh, it was the same day I was supposed to take my exam in another village. So my, my, my mother was going, uh, you know, to another village to get treated. And my classmates, uh, of course, at the time, had to go to another village to take that to the, the, the exam. Um, so I, I felt uh, devastated, I can say. I, I felt as if the doors of opportunity uh, were closed to me. I felt as if the, uh, the universe has uh, conspired for, for my uh, demise. You know, I, I felt as if I, I was uh, uh, worthless, okay? Uh, uh, um, and, and then that kind of a story also reminded me that uh, that opportunity is not um, evenly okay distributed. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes people cannot get um, uh, opportunity not because they are not equipped to, to get that opportunity, but because they they like some resources that can help them to get those opportunities. And I found myself in such in a position and quite um, many times about that particular event was uh, so inspiring, you know, for me, just for $5, someone $5. could not take the, the Right, exam. to make the difference in your life. It's such yes. a small amount, but it had such a profound impact. And I love the moment where you describe, because you talk about the interconnectedness of the area that you came from and the family and friends and all of your friends and classmates come back having passed this exam 
and there's a giant celebration in the village. Everybody's partying and you're left out of this whole thing. How could you not feel cursed in a moment like that? When you yeah, say that should have been me because you were totally yes. prepared. You would have passed the yes. test, obviously. Yes. But you yes. say, nope, that's yes. not my destiny anymore. And you didn't quit yep. and you didn't become bitter. Yeah, of course. I, I don't think that it, there is there is um, uh, there is a, a blessing of becoming bitter. I, I don't think um, you know um, you know personally. I don't think that's something that I, I you know I, I deal with. Uh, and, but also that uh, that story, that event, and and it taught me that uh, when you are a winner in a life, you have the world with you. The rest of the world okay, comes and celebrate with you. They come to the table of your victory. Yeah. Okay. Even those who are not invited, they come. Uh, but when you, quote unquote, you fail, um, initially, you are by yourself. Or you can have a very close, okay, um, a, a very close group of people can be Okay, with you. But mostly you, you are by yourself and you have to deal it with yourself. So failure per se doesn't invite the people to your table. Always a victory. Okay, it's, does. It's, it's so true. And why do you think that my friends call me a loser and a failure every single day? Is it uh, the way that I look? Is it the way that I talk? Because I've noticed that a lot of people don't want to hang around with me. Um, should I read into it or should I still call them my friends? What do you think? Um, I mean, you can still call them friends, uh, but you, you can have your distance as well because it, uh, uh, it has to teach you who is your friend or who is not your friend because your friends are there for, uh, for all time, you know, in, time, um, in, 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 you know in, in, in a moment of pain as in a moment of joy. Yes, I completely agree. Obviously, we are just joking around. Um, there's the line in here that you said, page 32, the road to success, a true one, is not and will never be straightforward, but it has always a lot of curves. Uh, I loved that. I circled that right here. Obviously, in your case, that's more true than for many people. Do you believe that that is the case for everybody in general, or just some people seem to have more curves than others? Uh, it's quite a tough to say, but um, if I may, if I may say uh, or speculate, I think generally that uh, you know many people always, a lot of people, can okay, face that. Uh, uh, why not? You know, all the people, uh, though that the uh, you know paths can be different. Okay, the, the way that you 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 know you, you fail is maybe different, but I don't think that. Uh, um, you know, everything that you, you do succeed, okay, um, just once you do it. Yeah, I, I think it, it probably take, you know, sometimes, uh, maybe one or two times. Um, but I don't quite think that, um, as the quote has said, uh, you know, the road to success is not straightforward. Yeah. Not, never at all. I, I certainly agree. And that's obviously, as you know, I say that and I single it out because that's basically the premise of this show. Beat the yeah. often path, the road less traveled, the metaphor of a, a not straightforward path towards success. What I find very fascinating, and this is something that I wrestle with a lot because certain things, I mean, it seems to me based on how you wrote this book that you hang on certain phrases or certain moments, certain things stick with you in your brain and then they carry you through a certain chapter of your mind, of your life. And I find it so interesting that we in the United States, we have this love-hate relationship with the genre of self-help as a medium because some people really believe in it. Some people are Tony Robbins fans. Some people swear by it. Other people say it's snake oil. It's garbage. It's nonsense. It's just scamming people out of their money and giving them a false sense of hope. And yet, interestingly enough, at a moment when you had very little to your name, a book from Ogmandino yeah. somehow reached you and that book helped you in that moment with some insights that kind of shaped the next part of your journey. How has yes. self-help and that book been a part of you staying on track? Oh, but I, I think that the book, first of all, I can say uh, introduced me to uh, the American cultural uh, self-help. 
okay, uh, or the American uh, self-help culture, uh, because uh, it was from that book that I, I came to to grasp a little bit what uh, uh, the the American mindset okay was do or die. You know, no matter what uh, the obstacle can be, um, you you can't still arise above it. Uh, so that one thing, but also the other thing is that the book kind of reinforced uh, some of the things that I already had at that time. So remember that I, you know, I survived the civil war. Um, so I, I had to walk, um, you know, longer distances, you know, in uh, in the forests, you know, savannas, and 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 then at some point uh, when we were walking, I could not walk anymore. Okay, and, uh, and and it was a really tough, you know, tough, uh, uh, tough part of my life, you know, tough, uh, tough moment, you know, for me. Uh, but I had to find within myself that extra, okay, extra nerve, extra drive to, uh, um, uh, 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 to, 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 to make the difference that was demanded, okay, for me to make at that time. So uh, yes, I, I think that uh, it's very important to um, you know to talk about self help, and self help is a part of uh, your, your personal history. It's it's what you find in yourself, okay, within yourself. It doesn't come outside; it comes within yourself. And to do so, I think you needed to be a way of your. Your, of, of, of your personal history. And when you are aware of your personal history, two things you find out for yourself. One is that you, um, you know what to avoid doing. Two, you develop inward drive and tenacity to carry out what you do. Yeah. Well, it's just fast. It's like a message in the bottle. You put it out and you don't know when it's going to come back. And we or authors, you write words and you don't know where it's going to, what shore it's going to land on. So Ogmandino writes this message in a bottle and it landed on your shore and it ended up opening your world into a lot, a whole gigantic field that you're still sort of on that path in many ways today. You, yes. Yes. I don't want to, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want you to, to cut you off, but uh, I think the, you know, it's a very interesting what a book can do to someone. And because most of the time we uh, probably do not quite grasp the importance of, of a book because the book is, is not just the ideas that the author has put there, but also it's the collection of experiences. You you enter a new world, the world that you, you have never been, and you do not really know how that world will impact you by its impression, but also by its influence. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very good reminder of what can happen for good with these types of things. So you, you fight and you fight and you fight. You get one of two people get the Fulbright scholarship, if I'm not mistaken, and you're one of them. Huge celebration. And they give you $200 and a winter coat. And they say, good luck in America, buddy. Here you are. <laughs> <laughs> coming out of the ashes, coming out of a civil war, coming out of unspeakable things. And you just have $200 and a jacket. And they say, okay, good luck in America. You've never been to America. You only know very little bit about American culture, obviously, right? I, I do have to say before we get to the next part, though, that I deeply, deeply hate you. And do you want to know why? Because what? in the book, you say, I closed my eyes on the airplane and I woke up and we were on the ground. You slept through the entire flight multiple times. I have never been able to sleep more than five minutes on an airplane. I can't tell you how much I wish I had your superpower. You say, I just, I closed my eyes. I woke up over there. I'm like, oh my God, this man is Superman. Uh, so I'm deeply jealous. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why it happened. But the funny story is that it was the first time in my life to take a plane. Maybe that's the reason why I, I slept a long way. Yeah. Like, oh, we're here. And everybody else is just like, oh. And you're like, I feel so refreshed. But needless to say, you know, to, to say that you're out of your element, I mean, most people can't even imagine 
being in the United States, foreign country, $200. And then I think the next part, which wasn't even meant to be funny, was clearly, it was the funniest part to me because you land in the airport. Nobody's waiting for you with the sign. You don't even know where you're supposed to go. Your school is very far away. And I thought this part was hilarious. You get a cab driver. And this is a positive point for the United States because somebody took pity on you and they said, okay, I've got to help this guy out. They took you to a cab and they helped you get where you're going. So you happen to have this cab driver who is Somalian, and he's telling you about the black experience of being an African who has moved into the United States. And I thought the very funniest part of this uh, this whole thing was that he teaches you all of these things in a very short period about what it's like to be black in the United States, but also he takes the $200 from you. <laughs> Yeah, of course. You, you took all of it. it so you get out of the cab and you have zero money. I thought if that's yeah. not an introduction to America, I don't know what is. He's like, man, I feel for you, but give me your money, dude. <laughs> I mean, you know, he wasn't doing his job. It sure. was a business. Of course. It's, it's, of not, course. Uh, it's not a family business. So I was not is a family member, you this know, very something funny. like that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think, I, I think it, you know, he kind of, uh, I wouldn't say that he had a kind of a pity on me. It was mostly a compassion probably he had on me. And um, and then that experience was my first introduction to the U.S. Uh, it uh, uh, really, uh, when I say first introduction to the U.S., uh, to the soul of the U.S., okay? Uh, because back home, I, I learned a lot about the U.S. even before uh, coming to America. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the things that you, you, you talked uh, to me in, 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 you know, during that, um, that drive, you know, that journey or short, uh, you know, short, short, short journey um, were a little bit alarming, and of course, encouraging as well. Alarming because, uh, you know, he was here for years. He, he knows how the American uh, society works uh, for African like nationals uh, like me at that time uh, who came to America um, to, uh, uh, to look for the piece of a pie okay, of the American dream. Uh, what uh, the American dream looked like for, uh, you know, African nationals that he was describing to me and what the American society was expecting or kind of describing, depicting, um, you know, the American dream for, for, for people like me at that time. Um, and then he said that the American dream was not something available to people like me. Um, so it, it was it was alarming, and then later on, he, he said that uh, the American dream was possible, and as long as you you keep your eyes on the prize, as long as you uh, I don't know if I have to use this term hustle, as long as you have the um, an aggressive approach, competitive approach in life, you can still make it, you can still live it. Uh, so that uh, that kind of you know experience, that kind of discussion that I had with uh, with him was uh, um, was 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 a little bit uh, you know disturbing in in some way, but also inspiring in another way. That's basically America in a nutshell. Disturbing in some way, but also inspiring in another way. It's that's America. It's good and it's horrible at the same time. It's it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned a few times that, again, a lot of these programs, because the Fulbright Scholarship, Senator Fulbright, it's a brilliant idea of trying to increase humanity by having these international experiences and trying to help the interconnectedness of it all. So I wholeheartedly agree with the mission of the Fulbright program. I think it is a beautiful mission. But at the same time, you were in a country with no money and you had a very small stipend and you didn't know when the stipend was going to come. You had months when you had no money at all. So it's not like you were taken care of via this program in the sense that you had all the money in the world and that you were comfortable. You still had to fight pretty hard to get your education even once you were here. And of course, you had the visa thing, which is only as good as long as you're studying. So did the challenges continue for you once you began the American part of your life? 
Yes, of course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, first of all, I did not know anyone in America. It was, um, and first, when, when I came, I landed in uh, uh, in Athens. Um, so it it was a tough, and it was in winter. So uh, the first time for me to uh, to live in winter time. Uh, and then, you know, I came from a collectivistic society, meaning that, uh, you know, you, 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 you live with the people, you, you are in, in a group, you know, you, you don't live by yourself, uh, you are, you know, linked to you know, with the other people, uh, but now I was living in 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 a very individualistic society. Uh, so you have to care, um, you know, for yourself and about yourself. Uh, so at that time, I could not comprehend it because sometimes even I could meet some people on on, on campus and I could you know, greeted them, they could not reply. So, which was a very, uh, you know, cultural shock for me. Um, so the, the, it was that, but also food, okay, as well. Uh, friends, it was quite tough to make friends. Um, and of course, my, my studies as well. I, uh, you know, all of my education and was in, in French. Uh, and, and and then now I had to, to study in, in English and English was not my first language. So I, I, I had to work more than um, I was expected to, uh, to, to work. Um, and I took a lot of uh, uh, pronunciation classes because at that time, you know, my pronunciation was not good and, uh, and my, my accent was not good as well. Uh, so I, I it, it was really, uh, really tough, but rewarding in, in, in many respects. Um, that I can say, yeah, it's 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 not, um, um, and I even mentioned that in my book, and I think I mentioned that, uh, you know, coming to America was not the end of the struggle. It was not the end of adversity. It was probably the beginning of the struggle and adversity. Mm. Yeah, and you get so much dumped on you in such a short amount of time, just like the cab driver is just saying, hey, here's a quick intro to race relations in the United States. And you say, buddy, I just got off of a very long flight. <laughs> it's just instantly thrown into it. And then, of course, you're on campus life, you're in college life, and you're part of the Black Student Union, and you're getting told of this incredible, the racial tension and the racial history of the United States, of which you weren't a part, yet you're coming from your own tension of civil war and unrest and insurgents and death and bloodshed in your hometown. So what was it like just getting all of that kind of dumped on you in a very quick period of this new place that maybe before you thought was the land mm. of opportunity or just some mythical or magical place? Mm. Yeah, definitely. America is the land of opportunity in many respects. So... Um, I did not have any judgment uh, from what I was hearing, okay, from what I was told. Um, I probably, I, I had to, to observe a lot. I had to, to store, okay, a lot of what I was uh, being told, or I was hearing, and, and then I had to analyze um, and, and then ask myself also a question, how I can make this relevant to me or how I can be okay, relevant to what I was being told, um, um, how I can make it an opportunity for me okay, to grow, for me uh, to thrive in a land that is... Um, is a strange okay, to me, unfamiliar to me. Uh, so th that's a kind of the approach that I took, and um, and also and also I I, I understood that sometimes, uh, you know, at the time people did not quite understand you know Africa, um, and maybe they did not educate themselves. Uh, or maybe also they get this uh, cliche from uh, yeah. the mainstream media what Africa is. Right. Um, so uh, I did also feel like a part of my responsibility was kind of to quote in a quote educate uh, some of the people about uh, what is not being taught on the mainstream media or on on what they they have heard you know here or there. Yeah. And that, that part really resonated with me, how you talked about 
the hurt that you felt from realizing that Africa had been reduced to a series of cliches by the media. And you say, oh, I didn't know that this is what you thought of when you thought of Africa. You thought of the Serengeti, some lions and extreme poverty and a, a failed continent, basically. And you say, there's so much more to it than that. Uh, that really hit home for me when you mentioned that, because as an international person, you are kind of caught between these two worlds. And I'm sure that you still feel this every single day. And you also talk about how a lot of the former Fulbright scholars, they return home to Brazzaville in the Republic of the Congo, and they don't quite know what to do with themselves because they miss home and they miss aspects of their family and friends back in Africa, but they also have gotten accustomed to this weird U.S. way of life. And mm -hmm. there is this kind of ping-ponging of, you know, what's my identity now? Who am I now yeah. that I have yep. gone through this? And obviously, as we're speaking now, you're still in the United States. You did go back, but then you came back to complete even further education. So where do you feel is your place in the international community? After all of this, do you feel I want to go and stay in America as long as possible? Or do you want to take the knowledge that you have learned and become entrepreneurial and build more programs back home? How do you see that now after so many years? Wow, um, that's, that's again a very good question. Sometimes are probably tough. Uh, but I would say, in my book, I, I mentioned this, this quote uh, from, an, Amer from uh, an African thinker, uh, Francis Fennon. He once said, Um, each generation, I quote, must discover its mission out of relative opacity, either to fulfill it or to betray it. So to your question, I think I am kind of on the mission of discovering my mission on this earth. Same. And probably back home. Uh, because I think uh, back home, there are quite a lot to do. Uh, there are okay, villages that do not have uh, cleaning water. Um, there are a lot of young people who survived the civil war, uh, do not have economic opportunities, um, and they don't have access to educational okay, opportunities as well. So... You know, to me, I am trying to find a bridge between America and home. What I have learned here, not only in terms of knowledge, but also in terms of a capital, how it can be invested back home to help those who cannot have the same opportunities that I have. And I did it, you know, when I went back home after Fulbright Fellowship. And actually, I am trying to, to raise uh, money uh, because I would love to um, establish uh, an innovation center in my town to help young people who survived the Civil War create startups in agriculture and food productions. Uh, so that's a kind of the my, my next project, but it, it um, it's kind of requiring a, a, um, something like fifty you know thousand yeah. dollars. Um, so I, I don't know if I have I have answered your your question, and uh, but as I said, uh, I think I am on a mission on you know of discovering my you know my uh, uh, my mission on 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 this earth. You know, and, and and part of it is doing what I am doing, is getting my PhD, is is publishing my book, um, and is, is owning my story. And because a part of, of course, uh, uh, being a human being is, uh, um, uh, is is to be able to to appreciate, to understand how a story, and how how a story can inform others, and how we can build. Uh, something beautiful out of how story. I, I love that. And this book really reminded me of a lot of things that I have dots that I've connected on the show and in my own life that other times people who are on the outside, they don't necessarily understand how those dots are connected. Like 
what does the climate and climate change and human rights and entrepreneurship, these all seem like different things. But then when you read a story like this, you understand, oh, there is a reason that I, as an individual, me, Ross, gravitate towards these types of stories. And there, there is an underlying connection. And that was really illustrated by the point after you finish your first study, and you're, you're, the Fulbright is done, you're going back to Brazzaville, and everybody around you is saying, hey, there's no jobs. A lot of the Fulbright scholars that have returned, they can't find work. The government isn't offering jobs. You're not prepared for this. It's not a good economy for making money. And the first thing that you say is, I don't want a job. I'm not here for a job. I was like, huh? What do you mean you don't want a job? Even your dad is shocked by this. But you say, no, I want to take my skills and I want entrepreneurship is a vehicle for me to create something in my hometown and you never considered getting a job. So it's like entrepreneurship at its best can be this incredible vehicle for empowerment and for building and for creating, especially in communities that have been struggling for external factors such as the Republic of the Congo. So um, that really connected a lot of dots for me. How do you feel about entrepreneurship as it relates to human rights now? Uh, of course, I, I think uh, you're right. I think entrepreneurship is a you know human rights. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, excuse me, is uh, uh, is a best way to create prosperity uh, for people. And, um, and 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 then the, the good thing, as you were talking about uh, me, um, you know, going back home and uh, did not want to get a job, is probably because of America too. Uh, I have studied it in a French education system, and mostly the way that it is um, uh, it is wired or designed uh, is to uh, educate students. Uh, they get the degree and they go to find a job. Okay, uh, but one of the things that I have found very interesting in American education, though that you may not become an entrepreneur. Uh, but uh, you can, and you, you have to be a leader, okay, in your field. So you have to be creative in what you do. So that's something very interesting that I have found in American education. So it 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 teaches you to become an entrepreneur, not only in the sense of uh, creating startups, but in the sense of thinking out of the box, how you can improve what you are doing, how you can become a leader, okay, mm. um, in your field. And um, and that's the reason why when I went back home, I, I told myself, listen, I don't want to get a job, no matter what it will, you know, take me, but, you know, I, I want to do, you know, something. And, um, and, and you know, uh, and... And also, this country is is a land of full of uh, entrepreneurial stories. You know, I talked about, uh, you know, Bill Gates, you know, Michael Zuckerberg, uh, small businesses. Uh, you know, you know, some of the, the quotes: the, "the the sky is the limit." You know, you you can you can make it no matter what. Uh, so I I, I I was and I am still very fascinated, uh, you know, by America, what uh, what it has done to me, um, and personally speaking, and 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 and, and that's uh, you know the, the beauty of education. The beauty of education is uh, to be able to solve problems that you face or are facing in your life. Education is not just the, the institution. Education is not just uh, the, the building, but it's the process of through which someone can empower himself or herself. And yeah. I think America has been um, a part of a, a key element for me uh, on that front. Yeah. And one of the things that I love is just how you've been able to stay detached because you don't come into this experience with all of the baggage that those of us who are born in this country, we are, we know these battles and we know Republican and Democrat and left and right. And we just have these struggles that we've internalized for, through decades from childhood. But I love the way that you, you've been able to come and be sober and objective and detached. And like you said, not take these things on board, but just observe and not judge. And that gives you a unique perspective where you can 
hear these thoughts, but you can still say, oh, I like this quote from Ross Perot, not thinking whether he's Republican or Democrat or whether he's liked or disliked. You just say you're picking and choosing different stories than we might pick because of the indoctrination that we have from childhood. And there's a quote that, I, that you talked about. So a book that I read a long time ago from George Clayson, but I haven't read recently, I'll be honest, The Richest Man in Babylon. It's like one of the first books that I read about entrepreneurship many years ago. But you have this quote from him where you say, a slave, uh, a slave man and a free man, a slave man is the one who looks at life like a series of problems to be solved and wonders desperately who he is. A free man is the one who looks at life like a series of problems to be solved and solves them. I spent many hours last night thinking about what that quote means to me because it's not so easy for me to fully grasp that right away. What does that mean to you? Uh, it, it, it means to me that I am at the center of, of my life. I am at the center of uh, things that I am longing for. Uh, no matter what uh, may happen, and still I have the power to do certain things that I, I, I can do. Uh, it means that, um, you know, I, I needed to have uh, an aggressive approach in life. Uh, it, it means that uh, uh, there are certain problems that are going on or will be going on in my life. And uh, I am, I have to find a solution okay, for those problems. I have to be the solution for those problems. I don't need it to be a problem to those problems. I don't need it to... Um, uh, how do you say it? I don't need to to uh, um, uh, to lose the sense of responsibility, the sense of accountability, okay, uh, towards myself, towards uh, what I am demanded uh, to do. Uh, that's what it it means because. Uh, uh, it's very interesting for me to, to understand human nature and to see that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we, um, you know, when such an event, when a, a, a crisis happens, you know, such as the civil war, uh, you know, people can take two pathways. One is that uh, uh, the, the, the crisis can... Uh, okay, and freeze them, and then and then they become immune. Okay, to uh, uh, to the adversity, and and then they don't seek okay new opportunities for for growth. And they said, "Listen, I am dead, and this is my fate. So I am accepting my fate. I am a victim of my fate." Okay, and and another pathway is that they can say yes, it has happened, but I am not a victim of the history. I am not a victim of my fate. I am not a victim of the problem that is in my life. I am the master, and meaning a master, I need to find a way to solve it. Either I don't know how long it will take me, but still, I have to find a way. To solve it, and to close, this is a a, a very interesting thing that uh, I have found in America. I think one of the things. Okay, give me life or give me death. Speech by Patrick Henry. The liberty yeah. in seventeen seventy five. Right. Defines. America today. When he was giving that speech uh, in that small, uh, small church with a uh, uh, small group of people, many people do not or didn't believe him. They didn't. They say, listen, we don't have the means to face the British. There's nothing that we can do. But he said, you give me life or you give me death. There is no representation without, there is no taxation without representation. That is single man, that is single event until today defines America. Hmm. That's what that quote means. You yeah. found a solution. Even if you have to die. Yeah. And a lot of great philosophers have have said the same, from Marcus Aurelius to, you know, of course, uh, Martin Luther King, all the way up through the ages. That is a similar sentiment of, uh, 
you know, again, that spirit of building or what are you prepared to make a stand for, be the change that you wish to see in the world, which maybe Gandhi didn't even say, but it, there's a series of lines of, of, of quotes along those lines. And what I like is that you mentioned Mark Albion sometime, and that's somebody who I instantly thought, ooh, I'd love to have him on the show based on your <laughs> recommendation. I, I wrote the name down. And you talk about entrepreneurship, but some people start a business for the sake of making as much money as humanly possible. Many businesses are started for what is the easiest and fastest way to make the most amount of money humanly possible, full stop. Who cares what it is or what it's for? But I love the idea that Mark Albion was preaching and has apparently been preaching a different style for decades in business schools. And one of the things that that you uh, had said of him is a business venture should be conscious and responsible for elevating humanity. Well, I don't know that everybody would agree with that definition of what a business venture should be. I know that I do. So talk to me about how you see what is called social entrepreneurship, or can you separate the idea of elevating humanity from the idea of just making as much money like the Mark Zuckerbergs, like the Bill Gates? Hey, let's just make billions and who cares how we do it? Yes, I I, I, I think... Um I believe that that's the way that entrepreneurship should be going. And um, probably is because of my background, because of where I am coming from. And remember, uh, you know, I survived the civil war and uh, I, I came from a community uh, where, um, you know, people did not have much uh, in terms of uh, materials. Uh, sometimes people do not have schools. So, and I think entrepreneurship should be um, in um, the way that uh, works for everybody, in the way that uh, inspires each of us to do better in what we are doing. Um, entrepreneurship should not be uh, at the expense of others, okay? I, I win all, you lose all. I, you know, but I, I can I, I can understand that because it comes with this uh, um, capitalistic, right. you know, very competitive. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, but I, I think entrepreneurship should be, um, uh, you know, in the way that uh, and people can be inspired uh, to solve their own problems, uh, and um, and and then how they can take care of the the own community. And, and, and that's what I, uh, you know, I, I learned quite a lot from Mark Albion. And actually, he's a, he's a friend of mine okay, as well. Come on the show. Uh, yes. <laughs> he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's a great man. Um, and uh, we have a very great, you know, great, great, great uh, friendship. Um, yes. So I, uh, th that's what I can say. I, 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 I believe in, uh, in, uh, in entrepreneurship. Uh, being a tool to lift people out of poverty, uh, whatever poverty that can be, because most of the time when we talk about poverty, we look at uh, the lack of, of, uh, of materials, but also poverty can, can be spiritual, poverty can be also education okay, as well. So, um, you know, poverty can be uh, the, the lack of uh, the digital uh, um, you know, learning skills, uh, so if, if we can provide those skills, those tools okay, to people who are lacking them, I think that's also part of you know, entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship should be that. It should not just be prioritizing uh, capital at the expense of a social you know, uh, well-being. So it, uh, we should do bring you know, this um, you know, and, and, uh, uh, to, together, you know, social and economic together. Yes, well said. Completely, completely agree with you. I think it wasn't in your PhD program, but in your master's program, you talked about learning about, I think, what is the Malian uh, debate, or basically it was Athens and was it Malios in, in Greece? There's two states that you mentioned, and they are trying to have a peace talk as an example. And of course, Athens being the stronger state, and I think Malios not wanting to participate in that. And of course, what ends up happening is Athens ends up dominating and going to war, completely decimating the other state. They kill all of the men of every age. They take all of the women as slaves and wives. 
And there is this trend in human history of the stronger just decimating the weaker, the strongest, the loudest, the most violent just comes in and wipes out everybody else. And it can be said of many things, such as why is paganism and the people who like dancing in the forest, why are they wiped out and the most aggressive, violent, warlike people remain? And I think the the history of America as this tension of conqueror and conquered and violence there's a part of me that understands, and also being a male and alpha male and macho, and I kill animals because I can, and I beat you at business because I can, and let's fight, let's fight, let's fight, who cares, just be the strongest. There are these competing desires of competing and winning and being the strongest and taking every advantage and who cares how it happens versus empathy and understanding that somebody else is in a different position as yourself or something else. And that is a tension that I think exists within myself, but I think it definitely exists within our culture, especially when we've so many toxic male entrepreneurial role models who believe that, you know, just subjugate, be violent, take what you can get. That is winning. We worship the greatest, most violent heroes and everybody else is just a loser. So take the advantage. How do you feel about strength and competing and conquering now that you have been experiencing this American cocktail for several years? Well, um, that's a very interesting question. Um, but, you know, to get back to, 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 let me circle back a little bit to, to, uh, uh, um, uh, to the story that you have just, you know, mentioned, which is in my book. Uh, the, the story is used as a case study in international relations, okay, is to show people that, uh, um, in international affairs, morality usually doesn't matter. What matters is self-interest. What matters is realism. And, and that's why we have in international affairs, um, you know, different concepts. We have, you know, realism, uh, which mostly, you know, talks about, uh, you know, the um, okay, nationalism, the state has to use, you know, force to protect his interests. There is no, you know, issue of, you know, morality or, you know, moral okay, principles. And then now, and, and then we also have uh, liberalism. So liberalism is a kind of, a, you know, a making uh, the, the trade as a way uh, of preventing a conflict between okay, countries. If a countries can okay, trade, okay, they will be more likely not to go into war. Okay, uh, so and, and that case study is very interesting, even for what is happening now in Ukraine. You can see what is happening now in Ukraine. We have the U.S., you have you know Russia, you have Ukraine, you have um, uh, 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 Europe, you you have you know China. You, you all these okay actors can illustrate okay that case study. So now to get back to your question, I, I, I think it's very important to be strong, uh, but to be strong not to bully okay other people, to be strong to help okay other people, to be strong to participate in uh, what we have just talked about, uh, social entrepreneurship. Okay, that's the way that you build up okay people. You build up okay the community. And, and the only person who can build up the community and, and the people is the one who is strong. Because you have the means, you have the financial means, you have the, the, the strength of the vision, the strength of the ideas that you can execute. Um, so uh, that's what I, I can I can I can say, and um, and I can understand. You know, the American society is more aggressive. Um, it's a, it's a go getter, uh, you know. You, you go, you get it. Uh, it will not be uh, okay and given to you if you want something and you go, you you, you get it. And by going to get it, you will you will you will find uh, um, you know some opposition, and, uh, and and then it depends on how much you want uh, what you want. And that's where it comes, you know, the, the notion of strength. You don't need to sit down. You don't need to see someone and, you know, come and, and, and bully you. No, you, that, that's not a part of life. Um, so I think strength in that regard, yes. And uh, it, it's very important to be, uh, to be strong. And, and, and that's why I can say today um, America is, is uh, 
uh, looked uh, looked up, okay, because of the strength that America has been able to uh, 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 to build in terms of the capital, in terms of innovation. Uh, in, in terms of technology, uh, in terms of what you are doing today. You know, this is a part of the strength that you 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 are sharing with the rest of the world, you know, bringing the people to come and talk about the stories, uh, talk about what can, of course, in some way or another, influence other people. And that's why I said in my introduction, uh, thank you so much for the noble work that you are doing. Well, it means so much to me. And I think what it comes down to is that some of us just have a different definition of what strength means. I know I do. Some people think strength is dominate as many women as you possibly can, dominate as many people as you can, crush everybody and accumulate the most paper money. That is strength. And those are our heroes. I see strength the way you see it, which is taking what you have and using it to the best of your abilities for the uplift of human humankind to elevate society, to elevate people. That's, to me, strength. But apparently that makes me a wuss and a weakling and a loser. So, you know, whatever. You know, either or. But but you, sir, are, so. you, sir, I, are I a very strong so. man. That is for sure. And um, I have one question for you. You've just recently completed your PhD. I know that that is not the end of the line for you. What do you have your sights set on next? I know you've got something in the back of your mind. You said maybe building that program because you strike me as a person who will not sit still for too long. Uh, yes. Um, you know, my next book will be coming out soon. Okay. And uh, the title is the, um, the, the Struggle We Carry, uh, Defending How Existence as a Success or Failure. So... Uh, what your, your your existence okay like means? What it does it mean to be you as a person in this world? Um, um, you know uh, what uh, does it or will it take you to to claim or reclaim your your place in in this world? Uh, what what is your place, of course, in this world? So that's 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 my, my next book um, that, uh, that 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 is uh, coming out soon. Exciting. Um, yes, I am very excited about it, and, and of course, I uh, uh, I am working on on that project. I'm trying to find uh, you know um, donors or investors uh, that can help me um, implement this project. You know, back back home. Um, so that's mostly what I, uh, you know, I, I am doing for now. And and for for other things, I would kind of keep it, you know, for myself. Usually, I don't, I, I don't like sharing yeah, okay. what don't, I don't, uh, don't I have it. not don't achieved yet. So I, I like the, the results, you know, come and speak, okay, before, um, you know, on on behalf of of my ideas. Yeah. Well, you know what I think you should do. I think you should quit. Quit now. Seems likely, right? <laughs> Just give up. <laughs> I know you're about to, right? <laughs> never, never, ever. Uh, the book here, we'll try to get a little bit of the, there you go. Power of Personal History from Dr. Dr. Mazash, which is a, a major accomplishment. Thank you so much, Dr., for sharing your wisdom and your light. I very much enjoyed that book. Helps me think about my life in a different light. And I think it will do the same for many other people. And also it'll help people recontextualize the struggles that they're facing because everybody's facing struggles. Everybody's got their own inner battle, their own inner demons to fight. And this book will help shed some light on what are we fighting for and why? And, uh, you know, again, thank you for your effort. Thank you for your contribution. And I'm glad that you have stayed present with the problems in your life, that you've stayed in America and you've continued on your journey. I look forward to seeing what happens next and to staying in touch. Uh, so thank you very, very, very much for this. And uh, with that, my friend, the podcast is officially over. Uh, thank you so much. If I have to say uh, one last thing. Sure. If you, you yes, no, mind. please, please. Um, history is not the past. It has never been. History is who we are. It invokes inspirations that shape our present and future conditions. And we have to own our history. 
So once again, I want to say thank you so much for bringing me, you know, to your platform and share my story and talk about me. My absolute pleasure. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.